Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you today for your presence. We love you, Lord. We ask the Spirit of God that you would have your way among us today. We pray, pray that you would be glorified and uh, praise the wonderful name of Jesus. Well, um, <clears throat> thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. We worship you, Lord. Praise your wonderful name. Hallelujah. What a privilege it is to serve the King. Amen? Amen. Glory to God. So, um, just to let you know, if you could keep us in prayer, we're in the middle of doing a video um, that's going to represent somewhere in the region of over 60 churches. Um, we're going to be launching the video this week. Edmund has been doing a huge amount of work in the background. And um, we're very excited because, you know, the video is just calling on the government to open the churches. And, um, you know, we're believing to see the people of God being able to gather again in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, I just want to pray before we get into the message, Lord. I just thank you for this word. I thank you for this message. I pray, Lord God, that you would use it, Lord, to reveal your son to every one of us in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. I love that song. Uh, oh, how sweet it is to trust in Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. So today, uh, the message is back to the Son. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been speaking about back to the Father, but, um, you know, over the, I guess, since the start of the year, we've been dealing with some of the foundational or essential teachings of Christianity. Uh, back to the Bible, uh, back to the cross, back to the Bible, back to the blood, back to the name, back to the Father, and this week, back to the Son. Oswald Chambers said this, the dearest friend on this earth is a mere shadow compared with Jesus Christ. You see, you have a friend in Jesus. And we just remind ourselves of that, that there is a friend, the Bible says, that sticks closer than a brother. Because there was no one like Jesus, our Lord. No one knows you and no one loves you like Jesus. How many of you want to know him and love him more, as the song goes? Mark chapter 14 and verse 55 and here it says, <clears throat> but Peter followed at a distance. Verse 55, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But even then, their testimonies did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst of Jesus and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. 
And the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy. And the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. Hallelujah. The Bible says he kept silent but answered nothing until the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus replied, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. You know, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Jesus faced all sorts of accusers, but they didn't agree because even blatant liars can never undermine absolute and eternal truth. But they did ask the key question, are you the son of God? Because in the course of our lives, we ask and answer literally multitudes of questions, some important and others of little or no consequence. But this is the one question which determines where you will spend all of eternity. Mark, uh, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said to the disciples, uh, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Verse 13 of John, Matthew 16. And uh, so they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But he said to them, who do you say that I am? Jesus changed at first. He wanted to hear what people were saying. But then he said, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ the son of the living God, Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You see, Peter didn't discover who he was until he discovered who Jesus was. Who do you say that I am? Because the answer to this question will either save your soul or seal your fate. This is the most crucial question that you will ever answer in your lifetime. Who is Jesus Christ to you? Because Christ makes it abundantly clear that knowing about him is no substitute for knowing him. Mere religion or ritual blinds multitudes of people to the sad reality that they are utterly unprepared for eternity. Amen? You see, giving a drowning man a tranquilizer may make him feel better, but it doesn't solve the problem. The key issue is that he is drowning and needs rescue. Well, you see, our generation is literally drowning in sin and shame. Jesus said you must be born again. He never said you must be Catholic or Protestant or Methodist. He never said you must have religion. He said you must have life from heaven. You must be born again. Luke 13, 25. After the master of the house gets up and shuts the door, you will stand outside saying, Lord, open the door for us. But he will reply, I do not know you where you are from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will answer, I tell you, I do not know you where you are from. Depart from me, all you evildoers. And I believe that this in a way, it gives us a picture of eternity, of the, the, the shock and the horror that will grip the hearts of multitudes who thought that religion was enough. 
who taught that being good was enough. Those who virtue signaled their, their, their good deeds and their philanthropy and these other things are even their dead religion. Right now, the media is celebrating the, the rebirth of, of, you know, liberal Christianity, as they so call it, through the new presence in, in the USA. They say, well, he's a Catholic. He goes to church. And yet he endorses abortion. And not only that, it's, you know, exports it to the nations. You know, liberal Christianity is not Christianity. There is only one faith. And, you know, Jesus said, if you know me, now do you know me? Blessed do you if you do these things. Now do you know them? Blessed do you if you do them. So again, Jesus here said, they said to Jesus, we ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. You see, good as defined by the world is very different to good as defined by God. It's very easy to describe ourselves as good or virtuous. It's very easy for us to try to take the, the, you know, the, the moral high ground. And, and, uh, but you know what? Remember, it's not what people say about you. It's not what you think about you. It's what God says about you. Amen? And this is why, again, these people, unfortunately, were deceived. And again, they said, we ate and drank with you. You taught in our streets. You see, they were in the crowd, but they weren't in Christ. Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? Because there are multitudes of people who go to hell for eternity who know all about Jesus. Don't tell me that priests who are able to abuse and, 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 and do perverse things to little children go to heaven. I don't care what prayers you pray. You're going to hell. Because you have a devil driving you to do those things. You know, many people get frustrated when they see some of these priests in Ireland who, who died in many instances without ever being brought to justice. They were brought to justice. It might not have come in this life, but I assure you, it came in the next. Jesus said it would be better for you than to have a millstone thrown around your neck than for you to harm one of these little children. So again, let's, you know, push aside the, the, a lot of the, the, the misapprehensions that we have and the delusions we have about what constitutes Christianity. Having a collar around your neck or a chain around your neck does not make you a Christian. Jesus said you must be born again. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior? We ate and drank with you. We even heard you teach Jesus. And yet he said, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. They are very sobering words. You see, our generation must come back to the sun. We have empty churches all over this nation that testify to the fact that Christianity is not a faith that is simply inherited. Each generation must be worn to Christ afresh. Or just like a grain harvest, it will be lost. You know, Irish people may be culturally Christian, but we are practically pagan. Because we have embraced heathenism and atheism and all sorts of perversion. 
We mock God. We, we slaughter our unborn. And we reject biblical truth. You see, God is calling us back to the Son. And you are not coming back to the Son unless you come back to the truth that is contained in His Word. You only know God to the degree that you know His Word. You only love God to the degree that you obey His Word. Our generation must come back to the Son. Acts 17 and 30. So indeed, God, having overlooked these times of ignorance, now commands all men everywhere to repent. It's not a suggestion. It is a command. Repent. Turn from your sins. Luke 24, 47. And in his name, repentance and forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. What was the message that was to be proclaimed? The message was to be repentance and forgiveness of sins. This is key. I sometimes wonder what we have done to the message of the gospel. You know, again, I think this is sobering. We have to ask this question. What have we done to the message of the gospel that the world can reject biblical truth and continue on their merry way to a lost and a Christless eternity and we do not wake them nor weep for their souls? Consider the cross and the immense price that Christ paid for every soul. Then ask yourself the question, have I played my part in taking the good news to my generation? Because sadly, many will only realize in eternity how much time they wasted on things that are of little or no eternal consequence. C.S. Lewis, Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. So Christianity is either immensely important or unimportant. Pick your side and live your life accordingly. Because unfortunately, there are people filling the pews all around the world who do not live like Christianity is really all that important. And this is why there are multitudes of people who reject Christ and they reject his claims, not because of the words that he spoke or the life that he lived, but because of the utter hypocrisy that they perceive in the lives of those who purport to follow Jesus Christ. Sometimes we are the worst advertisement for the gospel. If you follow Jesus, then live for him. I bring this message today with fear and trembling. Because I know that I am dealing with the one who saved my soul from death and destruction. I'm speaking of the one who loved me enough to hang on the cross for me. The one who has eyes like a flame of fire. The one who not only hears what I say, but sees who I am. The one who searches minds and hearts. The one to whom one day we will give an account for our lives. All I can say is like Paul, who is sufficient or adequate for such things? Because the person of Christ is like a huge mountain. The closer you get to it, the more you realize you can't capture it in one picture. All you can do is convey some small aspects of it. And so too, with regards to the person of the Son, I hope to address a few facets of Christ our Savior today. I cannot give a conclusive 
you know, message that will, you know, cover every aspect, but I will try and cover some few small parts today. And, and truly, he is altogether lovely. Song of Solomon 5.16 says, his mouth is most sweet, yet, yes, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved, and this is my friend, or daughters of Jerusalem. Again, you have a friend in Jesus. You know, Philip the evangelist had one qualification for the lost to be saved and baptized. Believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Acts chapter 8. Standing before the Ethiopian eunuch. Verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at this scripture. Preached Jesus to him. What was he preaching from the Old Testament? Book of Isaiah. Hallelujah. Praise you, Jesus. Old Testament, New Testament has one message. Jesus Christ and him crucified. He preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down from the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch asked, see, here's some water. What hinders me from being baptized? So part of the message he gave was the importance of being baptized. Then Philip said to him, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered, I believe that Jesus is the Son of of God. This was the message that Philip had. Paul had one message after he encountered the risen Christ. As he stood in the temple, he declared that Jesus Christ alone is the Son of God. Acts 9.20. At once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. It's interesting that after his divine encounter with Christ, he didn't preach socialism or social justice or climate change or feminism, veganism or identity politics. The one who once persecuted believers now boldly lifts up the Son of God. You see, John 12, 32 says, if I, if I be lifted up from this earth, will draw all people to myself. We have one job, and that is lift up Jesus. Lift him up in all that we do. If I be lifted up from this earth, I will draw people to myself. You see, Christ calls us to himself, not to an agenda, a philosophy, a cause, or even a religion. We are called to him. And I believe in these end days that God is calling us back to the Son. You may respond, but we never left. But our lack of impact on our society testifies to our leanness of soul. Read the book of Acts and ask yourself, am I seeing this? You know, read the writings of Wesley or Whitfield and Finney and see what they experienced. The mighty revival, the salvations, the people weeping and groaning under the weight of their sin, coming to Jesus Christ. Ask yourself, are we seeing that? Are we truly walking in God's power? You know, Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke on you and learn of me, for I'm humble and gentle in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. The invitation has been given. Come to me. Christ has invited us to come, but if we are to be honest, how many believers are too busy to spend time in God's presence? How many of us neglect to seek the Son? But God, don't you know I have to uh, get through a whole Netflix series and after that I have another one? God, I have exams. I have kids. I need an MOG. Sorry, baby, but you are not ready for an MOG until you first learn to serve G-O-D. Amen? Hallelujah. For those of you who don't know, an MOG is a man of God. Hmm. 
There will always be things to do. God, I have to study. God, I have exams. I have plans. I have a date. I have a career. I have a spouse. I have kids. I have bills. I have an ulcer. I have to retire. I have to die. That is the way some people go through their life. They just rush through their life and never take a moment to reflect on the one who gave them life. Is it okay if I preach the gospel today? And put on a suit, especially. Hallelujah. Haggai chapter 1 talks about consider your ways. The churches have been closed for the best part of a year. I believe we need to consider our ways. As the church, we've been put in the same category by the Irish government as museums. We need to consider our ways. Thus speaks the Lord of hosts, this people say, the time has not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then the word of the Lord came to Haggai the prophet saying, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses and this temple to lie in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much and you bring in little, you eat, but you do not have enough. You drink, but you're not filled with drink. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages, earns wages to put it in a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord, consider your ways. Revelation 2.4. I have this against you, forsaken your first love. The painful truth is this. Many believers have wasted the extra free time they've been given over the last year, either through laziness or misplaced priorities. But today, God is calling us back to the sun. The truth is, your life could forever be changed by this message. But sadly, some of you can't even sit and watch a message without getting up and going off and being distracted. I'm not saying it's easy to be sitting watching a TV screen. But you know what? This is where we are right now. And you have to persist. You have to press through. There's a deeper walk for you and me. Yes, it's wonderful to come back to the Father, but as Christ said, no man comes to the Father except they come through the Son. John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we cannot truly encounter the Father unless we first encounter the Son. But we can't encounter the Son if we don't understand these next few things I'm going to share with you. Firstly, His humility. John chapter 3 and verse 25. Then there arose a dispute between the son of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came to John and said to him, uh, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan to whom you've testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. Jesus answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I've been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who attends to him and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. But what he has seen and heard that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony is testified that God is true. He whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God does not give him the spirit by measure. The Father loves the Son 
and has given all things into his hands. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. John is faced with you know, the, 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 the sobering reality that his star is setting, that his time to step off the stage of life is fast approaching. And so he points the people to the Son. You know, John exemplified the humility of Christ in his gracious response to his waning influence. He hadn't done anything wrong. It was just God's sovereign timing and plan to lift up Christ. Psalm 75 and verse 7, but God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another because Christ himself exemplified humility in all that he said and did. Why? In his life, he identified in all that was humble. In his birth, he was born in a stable to peasants and laid in a manger, which was an animal's feeding trough. His birth, his birth was witnessed not by, you know, VIPs and kings and generals, uh, but by no-name shepherds. I mean, if he was born today, his, his birth certainly wouldn't have appeared in Hello! magazine. Um, he was, in his life, he ministered to the lowly and to outcast and to beggars, lepers, tax collectors, and prostitutes. He called uneducated, unsophisticated fishermen to follow him. There were no Harvard graduates or Mensa, uh, you know, signed up men, members of Mensa and his entourage. Rather, they were just ordinary people like you and me. And when you read the Gospels, you realize this. He even rode on a donkey. I don't care who you are. You can't look impressive when you're sitting on a donkey. I've heard a minister once say, well, they were the Cadillac of their day. Don't be an idiot, all right? A donkey is not an impressive looking animal. A horse, yes. A donkey, no. But you know what? The reason he did that was he came in humility, okay? You see, Christ didn't need gold, for he is God. He didn't need the empty praise of man, for he had the affirmation of his Father, he didn't need labels or titles or thoroughbreds to define him. John 8 and verse 14, Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. Jesus said, I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. Christ knew exactly who he was and where he was going. And yet still, he didn't demand the homage that was rightfully his. He came as a humble savior. Luke 22, Jesus said, I'm among you as one who serves. There was a dispute among them, verse 24, as to which of them would be considered the greatest. And he said to them, the kings of the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and those who exercise authority of them are called benefactors, but not so among you. On the contrary, he who is greatest among you, let him be the younger, and he who governs as he who serves. For who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table, yet I am among you as one who serves? There's aspects to the Christian ministry that I feel uncomfortable with at times, particularly when you're ushered into kind of green rooms to be, you know, uh, wined and dined and, and kind of, I, I just feel very uncomfortable about that because, you know, Jesus was always among people. I prefer to be among people. I don't like 
you know, this kind of thing that goes on sometimes in church. But I, I, I read this verse and I, I'm convicted. I, it makes me uncomfortable and it, it, it drives me to my knees because Jesus was among us as one who serves. Christ came as a servant, not as a tyrant. Through the ages, this verse has spoken to leaders in the church, warning us that we are here to serve, not to be served. We are here to love and bless and help others in the holy name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 verse 5 in the Berean Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Do you know what would solve the vast majority of the strife and the wars and the fighting and the bickering and the division and the splits and all the other things that goes on in church if we would simply walk in humility? So many of the problems in church are simply caused by people thinking too much of themselves, people walking in pride and arrogance. Selah. Christ humbled himself to serve and speak with broken humanity. No one could question his love and concern for other people. And maybe the reason why the world doesn't listen to us at times is because we don't speak with the same humility as our Savior. 1 Peter 2.21 says, Let this mind be in which was in Christ. Or sorry, 1 Peter 2 verse 21 says, For to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should walk in his footsteps. We're called to walk in the footsteps of the Savior. We could learn a lot from Him. He took time out to reach, to reach out to hurting people, to teach the ignorant. He was willing to sit and talk with sinners. He didn't sit and sin with sinners. I see some preachers who try to do that, and it always ends up in tears. We're called to reach out, not sell out. When I see preachers embracing all sorts of, you know, woke ideas and all sorts of, you know, knocking back whiskey with the world and doing all that stuff, it's just a matter of time before it all falls apart. He said, come out from among them and be separate. He didn't call us to segregation, but he did call us to separation. Separation is a place in your heart. And if you're a leader in this church, I don't want you taking selfies with whiskey or alcohol or doing that. Don't mess with that stuff. destroyed so many lives. We're called to walk in his footsteps. He sat and he talked with sinners. He touched lepers. He blessed children. He showed respect to women. His humility. Secondly, his humanity. John chapter 8 and verse 20, Jesus uh, refers to himself as the son of man. Matthew 8 and verse 20. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Son of Man was the most common term used by Christ to refer to himself. And this was a title that was understood by the Jews to refer to the Messiah. Uh, John chapter 12 and verse 34. Jesus here was talking to the Jewish people and uh, 
verse 34, and it says, But the, <clears throat> the people answered him, We've heard from the Lord that the Christ remains forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? They knew implicitly that Son of Man referred to the Christ. And um, it came from the book of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. In my vision of the night I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into His presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. How many of you are glad that our God reigns? Hallelujah. Our God reigns. Thank you, Jesus. Just like Brenda said, you know what? It ends with, with his victory. He's, he is triumphant, amen? He is victorious already. But you know what? Christ himself said that he would return in this manner, Matthew 24, 30. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. But while this title is clearly messianic in its uh, reference, it also acknowledges his humanity. And this is the miracle of the incarnation, John 1, 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Christ took upon himself flesh. You see, this is important for us to grasp. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but who is in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. This is the comfort we have, that no matter how we are tested, that Christ understands he understands our frailty as humans because he walked as a man too. He was weary and yet he didn't quit. He was threatened and he didn't fear. He was mocked yet he didn't falter. He set his face like flint. He was tempted and yet he did not sin. Ezekiel 3.15, then I came to the captains at, Tel, at the captives at Tel Abib who dwelt by the river Chebar and I sat where they sat. And remained there astonished among them seven days. You see, Christ sat where you sat. He felt what you feel. He understands even when no one else does. Even when you don't understand yourself. The Bible says, I sat where they sat. This is exactly what Christ did. He walked as a man. No person will be able to point their finger at God in eternity and say, you didn't understand what we had to go through as humans because Christ will simply hold up his nail-scarred hands and say, yes, I do. My back felt the whip. My hands and feet were nailed to that cross. You see, Christ understands. He still holds, he still has those nail-pierced hands in eternity. When he rose from the dead, he said to Thomas, Behold my hands and my feet. You see, his hands and feet were pierced by those six-inch uh, nails. Uh, David Jeremiah, only by being both deity and humanity could Jesus Christ bridge the gap between where God is. Amen. You see, last week we focused on the voice of the Father, but to whom was he speaking? He was speaking to the Son. Matthew 17, 4. Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I'll make three tabernacles here. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Ah, big mistake. 
You don't put Jesus on the same level with any mortal man. And this is what Peter did. And while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. Listen to him. Look to him. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Listen to him. I don't spend my time listening to the latest COVID updates. I don't care about what Bill Gates or George Soros or anybody else from the WHO or anywhere has to say. I look to him. My looking to Jesus, the author, finisher of the faith. He begot me. He started me in this. He's going to finish it in Jesus' name. My trust is in him. We must listen to the Son. We must listen to the living word. We must consider Christ and his claims on our eternal soul because he alone is the way to heaven. Thirdly, his deity. Let me read this. If Jesus is not God, then there is no Christianity. And we who worship him are nothing more than idolaters. Conversely, if he is God, then those who say he was merely a good man or even the best of men are blasphemers. More serious still, if he is not God, then he is a blasphemer in the fullest sense of the word. If he is God, he is not even good. J. Oswald Sanders, the, incorp- the, uh, the incomparable Christ, the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, talking about the the birth of Christ, said, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. I want to talk about the deity of Christ because Christ never presented himself to us as anything less than God. At his birth, he's introduced to us with the divine title of Emmanuel, God with us in Matthew 1. You see, Islam says they embrace Christ as a prophet but reject him as God. Clearly, we don't believe in the same Jesus because we believe that Jesus Christ is God, that he is God's son. But deception is not just limited to other religions. Even within Christianity, there have been branches that have gone into deception. Arianism is the erroneous belief that Christ is partially man, partially God. And this is why a council was held in the year 325 in Nicaea, Turkey, to establish, is Jesus Christ fully God? And it was from this council we got the Nicene Creed. Let me read it to you. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things, visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made. That's important. Begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth. 
who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. You see, his virgin birth, his miraculous ministry, his vicarious death, his victorious uh, resurrection, and his glorious ascension all attest to his deity. Because there's a danger that out of a sincere desire to make Christ relatable, more relatable to mortal men, that we end up denying or compromising his deity. You see, Son of God refers to Christ as the divine Son of God the Father. You see, he is God. He is not your drinking buddy or the man upstairs. He is God, and as God, he deserves your honor and respect. John chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. You see, he, Jesus didn't just start existing when he was manifested in Nazareth. Rather, it says, he was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, through the divine word. And without him, nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and that life was the life of men. It's important to note that Jesus didn't become God through the virgin birth. Rather, he always was God's son. The theological term, hypostatic union comes from the Greek, hypostatis, which means sediment, foundation, substance. It essentially describes the union of Christ's humanity and divinity in one divine existence. For Christ took upon himself flesh. The Bible says the word was made flesh. Amen? And so Jesus was both God and man, perfectly divine, yet perfectly human. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1 addresses this. And it says, God, who at various times and at various ways spoke at times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. And again, that gives us a picture of back when they were sealing letters, they would have the hot wax, and the person in authority had a signet ring with a, an image, and he would press that ring into the wax. The exact image of the ring was now on the wax. So too, Jesus was the express image of the Father. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Amen. You don't have to wonder. Read the Gospels, read the Bible, and you will see what God is like. Because He is the express image of the Father. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power. When He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become uh, so much uh, better than the angels, as He has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they there is power in the name of Jesus. That's why Satan wants to use it as a curse word. Charles Spurgeon said this, If Christ was not God, we are not Christians. We are deceived dupes. We are idolaters. As bad as the heathen we now pity. It is making man into a God if Christ be not God. You know, John chapter 20, again, it says, Many other signs, therefore, Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Why did they write the Gospels? So that we would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And I thank God that 2,000 years later, I have this book in my hands. And I can read for myself 
And I can see what Jesus is like. The disciples were so absolutely convinced of Christ's deity that they were willing to suffer and die rather than deny that Jesus Christ is God. John even wrote a gospel so we could believe in the Son. You know, Luke 4.41, when Christ was casting out demons and they fell down before him, they declared, you are the Son of God. John 1.34, John the Baptist testifies that Jesus is the Son of God. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. You know, in John 11.27, Martha calls him the Messiah and the Son of God. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Is it any surprise, therefore, that her brother was raised to life? Again, we read earlier in Matthew 16, Peter was given a divine revelation of the Son. And he said, you are the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus. Luke 22 and 66. As soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him into their council, saying, if you are the Son of God, tell us. But he said to them, if I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I ask you, you will no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said, Are you the Son of God? So he said to him, You rightly say that I am. And he said, What further testimony have we need? We've heard it from ourselves, from his own mouth. Ultimately, Christ was condemned because they rejected his deity. The next one I want to cover is his mercy. I thank God that in spite of where we fall, that Christ is filled with mercy. He had mercy on the broken multitudes that came to him for healing. He had mercy on the disciples in spite of their ineptitude and their completely misunderstanding what he was saying at times. He even had mercy on the Pharisees because ultimately it was his mercy that moved him to rebuke them. Amen? Because he saw where their lifeless traditions were bringing them straight to hell. Mark chapter 6 and verse 32, one of the busiest days in Jesus' ministry. Jesus was so busy, and so it says, uh, verse 32, uh, verse 31, he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place by boat by themselves. But the multitude saw him departing, and many knew him, and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before him and sat and came together to him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Christ was tired. His disciples were tired. They were weary. And yet, instead of being frustrated by the fact that he couldn't even get a break, he was moved with mercy and compassion for them. And it says, he began to teach them many things. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said, you give them something to eat. And I'm not going to read the rest, but it says he multiplied the loaves and the fish and he fed them. He had compassion on them. He had mercy on them, even on something as simple as people being hungry. Amen. So again, I think this is beautiful that Jesus Christ is full of mercy. You know, Matthew chapter 20 talks about there were blind men and it says Jesus was passing by. And um, verse 29, and it says, 
Now they went out in Jericho, a great multitude followed him. And behold, two blind men sitting by the road, when they heard that Jesus was passing by, cried out, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. They couldn't say, see when Jesus was coming. There was a multitude passing. But they just kept crying out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Son of David, have mercy on me. And, and, and it says, Then the multitude uh, warned them that they should be quiet. Why? They were annoying people. And uh, they cried out all the more, saying, Have mercy on us, O Lord, son of David. So Jesus stood still and called them and said, What do you want me to do for you? It seems pretty obvious, but again, Jesus wanted to see their faith. And they said, Lord, that our eyes may be opened. So Jesus had compassion and opened their, touched their eyes, and immediately their eye, they re- eyes received sight, and they followed him. They were able to walk with him, amen? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus is always lifting us up. You may have fallen. You may be watching today, and you may have fallen into all sorts of sin. Hallelujah. Jesus is full of mercy. He will raise you up. The blind men couldn't see Christ, but mercy stopped him when nothing else could hallelujah because Christ is full of mercy Lamentations 3 22 the faithful love of the Lord never ends his mercy never ceases great is his faithfulness his mercies begin anew begin afresh each morning amen you may have failed but thank God that you can have a fresh start because of his mercy because of his mercy We read in John 21, I'm not going to go there, but Jesus addresses Peter's sin in such a gentle, merciful manner. He said, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? I know what I would have said to him. The very man who who said, I'd be there for you, Lord, and yet he, he runs off and not only that, denies three times that he knows you. Jesus said, do you love me, Peter? Peter said, yes, of course I love you. Again, he asked, Lord, Peter, do you love me? And the third time he asked him, do you love me? You know why he was doing that? He was giving Peter an opportunity for the three times he denied him. Now he gives him an opportunity three times to confess him. Isn't that beautiful? Hallelujah. We serve a merciful Savior. We serve a God who is full of mercy. Thank you, Jesus. He sees us at our worst, and still he believes the best. John 1 and 16, from the abundance of Uh, From his abundance we've all received one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has seen God, the unique Son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart. He has revealed God to us. Jesus revealed God to us. So how can I know, how can I say that I do not know God when I have a Bible. How do I know God is merciful? Because Jesus is merciful. Amen. I read the Gospels and I take hope. You know, Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He came to reveal God to us, just like it said there in John chapter 1. I can't see God, but I can see Christ. Hallelujah. And therefore, I know what he is like. I can read the Bible. I can walk with him and talk with him. Give me three minutes and I'm finished. We've looked at Christ's humility, his humanity, his deity, his mercy. But I can't finish without talking about his glory. Hallelujah. I want to talk about his glory. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Psalm 24, and it says, oh, thank you, Jesus. And verse 7, lift up your heads, O you gates, be lifted up your everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. 
Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O your gates. Lift up your everlasting doors. And the King of glory shall come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We see, we serve Christ the King of glory. He revealed the glory of God to us. He died in shame, but he was raised in glory. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. And he is seated in glory at God's right hand. And the time is fast approaching when he will return in glory. You know, Revelations chapter 1 talks about that he is coming on the clouds of heaven. Hallelujah. Revelation 1:4. And it says, Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And made us kings and priests to our God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Even those who pierce them, all tribes of the earth shall mourn because of him. I'm the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord. He who is and who was and who is to come. The Almighty. We serve an Almighty Savior, and He is coming on the clouds of heaven. He went from execution to exaltation. Hallelujah. And He is coming again in glory. Are you ready for His glorious return? Charles Spurgeon, if Christ is not all to you, He is nothing to you. He will never go into partnership as a part Savior of men. If He be something, He must be everything. And if he be not everything, he is nothing to you. Think about those sobering words. Habakkuk 2.14, the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. I believe we have a promise that in these end days, as dark as it may be, that we are going to see God's glory revealed in us and through us in Jesus' name. We serve a Savior who is glorious in power, and it's time to see His glory revealed to our generation because His glory will first be revealed through His church. Hallelujah. We are called to arise and shine. Isaiah 60, arise and shine for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people, but the glory of the Lord shall, shall be upon you and seen upon you. Glory to Jesus. God's glory will come upon you if you are ready, if you are yielded in Jesus' name. My last Bible verse, Isaiah, uh, sorry, Psalm 85 and verse 8 and 9, it says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. You see, Jesus says in John, it says in John 3, 18, Jesus didn't come to condemn as the worship group come. He didn't come to condemn. He came to save. Amen. I love this. It says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. This is the promise we have. God's glory is going to dwell in our land. It's time for God's glory to once again dwell in Ireland. You know, Ireland was once known as the land of saints and scholars. You know what made it special? It wasn't the beautiful Celtic art. It wasn't the music. It wasn't the creativity of the Celtic people. It was Christ. 
It was the glory of Christ coming upon a people. It was a people who set themselves apart to God. God's glory was seen on this nation, and it shone to all the nations around. And this is why men and women went forth from Ireland with the gospel to Great Britain and all of Europe. Hallelujah. And I believe it's going to happen again. In the midst of the despair and the heartbreak, right here in the frustration and the misery, God is raising up a glorious church without spot a wrinkle, a church that will walk in the fear of God, a church that will be about the master's business, bringing hope and healing, deliverance and salvation to hungry hearts. So let's go back to the Son, for He is our source. He is our strength. He is our Savior. Jesus Christ is Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He is our Savior. Our Savior isn't in a vaccine. Our Savior isn't in a pharmaceutical country, com company. Our Savior isn't in an ideology, a philosophy, or a government. Our Savior is Jesus. Our salvation is in Jesus. He is our strength. He is our source. He is our shield. He is our shepherd. And as I finish today, I want to ask you, do you know Jesus Christ? Do you have the peace of God that passes understanding? Have you born, been born from above? Have you been washed in His blood? Have you called on His name? Have you come to the Son? Jesus Christ is King. And like Hudson Taylor once said, either Jesus is Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. So today, before we go any further, I want to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Just pray this prayer with me right now. Say, Lord Jesus Christ, I believe in my heart that you were born of a virgin I believe that you lived a perfect life and that when you died on the cross, you died in my place, bearing my sin and shame. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus Christ, and forgive me of my sins. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for washing me in your precious blood. I renounce Satan and all of his works. Jesus Christ, you are Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm going to pray for you today. But if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, there's people on Zoom rooms right now, and you can log in and have somebody pray with you. And if you've prayed that prayer for the first time, please let us know. And if you need a Bible, we'll send you one. We love you, but we're just going to sing this song, and then we're going to pray for whatever your needs may be today.